Hello, everyone, and neither welcome or welcome back to the Gender Libertarian Podcast. If you do like this, please rate, comment, and subscribe. You can find me on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, YouTube, and on my Patreon page. So before we get into the news of the past week, I want to go ahead and apologize for this being a little later than usual. It is now officially the holiday season and Friendsgiving has already started. So on Sunday, I was at a Friendsgiving instead of sitting here behind my mic recording. So again, I apologize, but it is the holiday season. And so things might be a little more up in the air throughout the rest of the year. Um, the first week of December, I will be out of town, so I will give you guys a heads up again. Before I do that, I'm not entirely sure if I will record when I am out of town. I always intend to do it. I always bring the equipment to do it, but I never quite seem to get around to doing it, so we'll see what happens this time. But like I said, I, I will try to give you guys a heads up in the future because like I said, we are going into the holiday season and so everybody's schedule is going to get a little crazy. So anyway, hi, welcome back. I hope everybody is gearing up for their Thanksgiving or Friendsgivings or whatever it is you're having, provided that you can have them in your state of residence and can have a decent amount of people in your house because that all seems to be a little up in the air right now. But as usual, I will start where I have been starting and that is with the unemployment numbers. And a little bit of good news on this front um, for the week ending on November 7th we went down to 709,000 initial unemployment claims. So it is going down, now starting to rather dramatically drop off. And like I've been saying, um, I'm sure a lot of this has to do with seasonal employment. So hooray for that. I mean, like I've been saying, it's temporary, but it's better than nothing. Kind of the bad news that I am starting to see appear on the horizon, especially now, as I kind of mentioned with Thanksgiving coming up, um, a lot of states are starting to flirt with the idea of putting in restrictions, not entirely going to a second wave of lockdowns yet, but that may be something that happens in the near future. Um, I know New York has gotten a bit squirrely as of late. Um, for Thanksgiving, you're only supposed to have 10 people in your house. Um, they have decided that all of the, the bars and the restaurants have to be closed by 10 p.m. I, I don't know. I guess the COVID only comes out after 10 p.m. I'm not sure. I don't know what the difference is between me drinking at a bar at two in the afternoon or at 11 at night. I... <laughs> I'm not entirely understanding the logic here. Um, I know California tried to put in some bizarrely draconian <laughs> rules about who you can and cannot have in your house. And I believe those got shot down by the court. So California, I guess, guys, have your Thanksgiving. And I'm sure everybody at this point, I mean, on the topic of possibly going to a second wave of lockdowns, I, I just don't, I don't see it working. Like, I just don't see people going for it. I mean, from a business perspective, obviously, there's not a lot that could be done. I mean, if it's something where states start selling businesses, like non-essential businesses, that they have to be closed, I mean, there's not a hell of a lot you can do about that as a business. But I'm just not seeing an appetite from individuals, especially, like I've been saying, going into the holiday season, people have been kind of cooped up all year. They want to go see their families. They want to have gatherings at their house as, as people normally do during the holiday season, but it's going to be a little more heightened this year just because of the the lack of ability to gather throughout the year. People are kind of like 
really, really wanting to like go over to somebody's house and have Thanksgiving dinner and to do Christmas. So we shall see what happens with that. Um, obviously, if there is a second wave of official lockdowns and you start having non-essential businesses close again, that is going to be very, very bad, ugly, awful, no good, especially considering this is the time of year where a lot of businesses, especially the ones that have been hit hardest, like restaurants, like hotels, like anything in the travel industry, kind of traditionally make up for losses throughout the rest of the year because this is the time of year where people are going out to eat in large groups, they're traveling, you're you're staying out of town to go visit friends or family or whatever. So if we go into a second wave of lockdowns, that's going to really affect those industries that have already been hammered this year. So I'm really crossing my fingers on that. I'm hoping we don't have to go there and do kind of the things that we were doing from between like March to June, because that's going to be really bad. And I, I don't see people on an individual level going for it anymore. Like it's just people are worn out and it's it's not invalid to feel that way. I mean, obviously, this has been a really long year. It's been a really hard year. People don't want to be cooped back up in the house again. People don't want to go on restriction again. People want to go see their friends and family at the time of year where it is traditional to go do such things. So I, I'm not sure how that's going to work out on an individual level if if we do try to go into lockdowns because people people are smart, people adapt, people find ways around rules that they do not want to follow. So I'll, I'll cross my fingers. We shall see. I really hope not because that, that unemployment number is starting to come down and I mean, if we could get it by the end of the year, if we could get that down to like super optimistically, like half a million people a week, I mean, that's still an astronomical number, but that would be a massive, massive, massive improvement over where we have been and would at least be something to kind of build on going into 2021. Um, on the on the good news going into 2021 front, though, um, both Pfizer and Moderna have announced that their vaccines are in phase three and have been very successful in phase three. Um, The Pfizer one has proven to be 90% effective. Um, The Moderna one is almost 95% effective. And they are thinking that by the end of the year, they will be ready to go to market. Now, that being said, it is still going to take a long time from a logistical perspective to get vaccines distributed out to the general public. And of course, there's going to be much debate over who gets the vaccine first and like distribution. Obviously, Trump has been out here saying that he wants the military to do do the distribution. Um, Cuomo was on his bullshit talking about how he doesn't want the private industry to handle the distribution, which I'm just like, given how bad the federal government fucked up the initial response to COVID with the CDC and the FDA just completely botching it, please let the private industry handle it. Like, I I do not, I do not want this botched the way the rollout for testing was botched back in March. Dear God, please spare us. The federal government has done enough to ruin things this year. Just no, don't leave them in charge of anything anymore related to healthcare ever again. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. But no matter who handles it, there are going to be logistical difficulties. I mean, there's going to be a finite supply at the beginning, although 
I believe, I don't know if Moderna has announced a number. I believe Pfizer is planning on bringing 190 million doses to market initially. And the Pfizer one is going to be a two-stage process. I'm not sure about the Moderna one, but it's good to know that we are going to have vaccines, competing vaccines to market in the very near future. I am still thinking that for the general public, for people who don't have some kind of reason to be at the front of the line, for people who are not elderly or are immunosuppressed or have comorbidities, people that just want the vaccine, you're probably still going to be looking at late spring, I would think, before you could just like walk into your doctor's office and say, hey, I want the COVID vaccine. And of course, that is going to be a whole mess too, because there are going to be people who do not want to take the vaccine at all. People who have point blank said, I have no interest in taking this. I'm not taking this. You can't make me take it. You've got people who are taking a more wait and see approach to see like, okay, we'll see what happens when the the, the early adopters take the vaccine. We'll see how that kind of plays out with them. And so, I mean, we're going to be dealing with this all the way through 2021. So at least there's a little bit of glimmer of hope Although, as much as I'm looking forward to a vaccine being on the market, holy shit, this is going to be, oh man, this is going to be such a mess. If you think that the vaxxer versus anti-vaxxer thing is bad now, just wait until the COVID vaccine hits the market. And of course, we're going to have the battle. And this is the battle I can see coming up. Even like setting aside the the anti-vax-vax argument is who's going to get it first here's what I can see happening. I can see there being an extreme push by teachers unions, by state governments to prioritize kids getting the vaccines first, because that's going to be the deal. I I can already see it coming. That's going to be the deal. Teachers unions are going to say, we are not going to go back to in-classroom learning until kids are vaccinated for COVID. You can already see that happening. You already know how vaccines work in public schools right now anyway. The problem with that is that It seems right now that children are in the lowest risk group for catching and transmitting COVID. The highest risk group are the elderly and people with comorbidities. So you're going to have this push-pull of who who gets it first? Like, do, do you do the kids first or do you do the olds first? Because, I mean... The old people are the ones who disproportionately die from COVID. People with comorbidities are the ones that disproportionately die from COVID. So to my mind, they should get it first and then go in the order of that of like the highest risk and then moving down to the lower risk categories with kids being at the end. But obviously, you know, that's not how that's going to play out. So, oh, man, the, the, the first half of 2021 is going to be an absolute mess with this vaccine thing. And of course, there's people that still want to pursue herd immunity, which I don't think that the two things are mutually exclusive because from what I understand of how these vaccines are supposed to work, and Johnson & Johnson still has one that they have not announced results yet, but I think theirs is a little different than the Pfizer and Moderna ones, is that basically this is supposed to work kind of the way that herd immunity would work like it gives you the it it triggers the immune response in your system to covid so that you develop like immunity to it and so that kind of speeds up herd immunity it's basically like getting covid and then having your body kind of cure itself of covid just faster than actually like catching covid and then like suffering through it you know what i mean so yeah it's going to be crazy but 
at least a, a tiny, tiny bit of good news going into 2021. I mean, our, our unemployment numbers are falling and we are going to have a vaccine sometime in the very near future. Now, moving on to the rest of the disaster that has been the past week, which has been the past couple of weeks, which feels like it has been months and months and months. But as of right now, I'm recording this on November 17th, which is exactly two weeks after Election Day. And despite losing in both the Electoral College count and the popular vote, Donald Trump still has not conceded the election. Um, As of this recording, and I think pretty much everybody is already included in here, um, it's 290 to 232 for Joe Biden. Um, Biden is leading Trump by a couple million in the popular vote. Not that that particularly matters for anything other than just to point out that Biden is leading in the Electoral College and in the popular vote. So just as a point of reference, but here we are. Yes, we are still here waiting for Trump. Um, here's here's where we're at right now. And I'm, I'm going to try to say all this as nicely as I possibly can, although it's probably not going to come out very nice. Um, essentially, at this point, there is no mathematical way for Donald Trump to win this election. It's done. It's done. He lost. I'm sorry if that was your dude. I'm sorry if you wanted him over Biden. This happens every four years. Somebody loses a presidential election. It'll happen again in 2024 and in 2028. And going on and on and on, somebody is going to lose the general election. This year, it happens to be Donald Trump. But where we're at now is filing these stupid, stupid, stupid lawsuits. Like at this point, it's not even the lawsuits at this point are not even about like contesting the results in a way that would flip the the election results for Donald Trump. Basically, it's these hearsay arguments that they're trying to bring in court. It's like they're trying to bring Twitter arguments into court and say that, oh, because this poll worker saw a thing that they interpreted this way, or you overheard something, or they they felt a certain way, that, 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 that doesn't fly in court. Like, there's no evidence that has been brought forth in any of these cases. And we're at over 20 cases at this point. Over 20 cases. None of them have stuck because of lack of evidence. And Donald Trump keeps swearing up and down. People in Trump's camp keep swearing up and down. People who want to still support this man keep swearing up and down that the evidence is coming. I'm like, well, you have to have the evidence before you file the case. That's how this works. You don't file the case and then go tell the judge, we're working on the evidence. The judge is going to be like, well, no, bye. (laughs) Like, stop wasting my time. And that's where (laughs) a lot of these judges are now. And we're to the point where there was one case in Pennsylvania and one case in Michigan where Trump's lawyers actually just dropped the case before oral arguments even started. Like that's where we're at now. Like even his lawyers know, like I'm not going to go in court and try to argue this shit and possibly endanger my career and my license to go do this stupid, stupid task of arguing this in front of a judge. Like, you know, there's, there is such a thing as filing frivolous lawsuits and there are penalties for lawyers for doing that. Like you, you could be censured. You could lose your license for doing this shit. So 
a lot a lot of lawyers are backing off. Um, the biggest one that everyone wanted to talk about was out in Arizona. Um, law firm Porter Wright dropped Trump as as a client. And a lot of people were kind of pointing to this being part of, and, and this might actually be part of it too, but I think there is a bigger problem here. Um, the Lincoln Project started this little campaign of basically encouraging people to go harass this law firm and tell them that they should not be representing Donald Trump. Guys, I don't care how you feel about somebody, anybody, Donald Trump, any any person who is seeking legal representation. The cornerstone of our criminal justice system is that everybody is entitled to legal representation. No matter how awful of a person you are, no matter what you've done, that is your right as an American. You do not harass the lawyers who are representing somebody because you don't like that person. Like, that's not okay. That's that's not how our criminal justice system works. That being said, I think the real reason why Porter Wright dropped Trump as a client is that it came out that in one of the cases in Arizona, um, one of the poll workers who was testifying on behalf of Trump was actually an associate of the law firm. So yeah, obviously a little bit of a conflict of interest there. That's a little unethical. That's not so great. So at that point, you kind of have to drop somebody as a client. So I think that might have played into it more than the Lincoln Project doing their dumbass little scheme. But of course, everybody kind of, of went with the whole idea that the Porter Wright dropped Trump as a client because of online pressure. And I think, I mean, maybe that might have been a part of it, but I really think that finding out that one of their associates was also one of the poll workers who was defending Trump in one of these lawsuits had a lot more to do with it than that. So that's that's where we're at with that. And I mean, at this point, anybody who is still supporting this, what the hell is wrong with you? Have you lost your damn mind? The man lost. It, I mean, it happens. People lose. And I, I just don't, I don't get people who still want to cling to this. Like, I remember, remember back in 2016 when, like, every conservative blue check lost their shit because Hillary Clinton didn't concede on election night? She waited until, my God, the next morning. People lost their shit. It's been two weeks. Two fucking weeks, and people are still sitting here like, oh, Donald Trump needs to keep fighting for the voter the voter frauds. Like, you know what? Let, let, let me put it this way. You can absolutely concede that you lost this election and still pursue those cases if you want to. That's fine. I mean, Stacey Abrams has been doing it for two years. I mean, there's there's nothing that says that Donald Trump can't acknowledge the reality of his situation, concede the election, but still pursue these cases where he thinks, and I'm saying this in, I, there's air quotes here, thinks that voter fraud took place. There's, there's nothing... A does not preclude B. So using that as an excuse makes no sense. Like, just let it go, dude. You lost. Let it go. And all the rest of you, let it go too. But there are people that want to hang on to the bitter end. And I don't get it. Like, again, I'm going to say this. 
I'm going to try not to be mean. I'm going to try to be a good person. But for fuck's sake, people, this shit ain't a game. This is not a game. And I see so many people online, on Twitter, who are still like playing this out like it's some kind of, like it is a game. Like it's some kind of owning the libs bullshit. Like, guys, this is not a game. This is real life. I mean, you've got Dave Rubin being interviewed by Glenn Beck talking about how he just doesn't understand what happened and that he's just uh, that that this is just makes no sense to him and that that this just seems like 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 he he put it this way like Donald Trump made it all the way to the big boss and and then he got beat but he still thinks that Donald Trump's going to like pull something out of his back pocket and win and it's like this is not a video game this is not a movie this is real life like are you people this detached from reality that like everything is a game to you that everything is about trying to, I don't even know what the fuck people are trying to do right now. Like, I genuinely don't get it, but there are some things that should be taken seriously. A presidential election is one of them, but just over the past four years, and you guys know how I feel about Twitter. I, I, I am very up on Twitter. I, I like Twitter. I think it does a lot of good, but my God, has it rotted some people's brains to the point where it's just like, you view everything as this non-serious game of got you. And I just like, I don't, I don't, I can't like, and I'm sure a lot of it is, is gamification. A lot of it is clout chasing. A lot of it is telling people what they want to hear because then people give you the likes and the retweets. And my philosophy has always been, and this is how I am on Twitter. This is how I am here. This is how I am on Substack. This is how I am everywhere. The whole point of all of this for me is not to tell you what you want to hear or to confirm your biases or to say things are different than what they are, clearly. The point is for me to express myself and my thoughts and my opinions. And I I just, I cannot, I, I can't be the kind of person who conforms themselves to being the certain type of person that will go tell you what you want to hear because it's what you want to hear and then you will like me more. Like I'm sure I could have a lot more followers. I could have a lot more downloads. I could have a lot more people giving me money if my message was something other than what it is. But that's not the point of this for me. And just finding out I mean, and it's not like I didn't already know this. Like, obviously, I've talked about this for ages, but just finding out how far people are willing to go to play that game, it's just like, it's kind of mind-blowing to me. It honestly is. Like, I just, I, as cynical as I am, like, I didn't think people would take it this far. I really didn't. And it kind of scares me that people have taken it this far. Like, at this point, somebody should have told Trump to just go sit the fuck down. Like you lost. (laughs) But instead, you got people that are just holding on for dear life because I don't know, I guess they view the end of the Trump era as the end of their influence, as the end of their popularity, the end of their grift. So you're going to go down with the ship, which I always thought was kind of stupid. Like if you base your whole identity around who's in the White House, like one day that person's going to be gone. Like, whether that day was going to happen in 2021 or 2025, there was going to be a day when Donald Trump's not president. 
And then what? Then what are you going to do? Like, it just, it blows my mind. And you also get this, not just for the pro-Trump side, but the anti-Trump side too. Like, when Trump's gone, what are all these people going to (laughs) do? I think political Twitter is going to get very boring once Trump is gone. And I don't say that as a bad thing. Like, I would be perfectly happy if everybody just went back to arguing about policy on Twitter. Like, that would be perfectly fine for me. But I think a lot of people that kind of got into the game over the past four years because of Donald Trump are going to find that politics is actually not that interesting. It's actually rather boring when it's being done correctly or at least seriously. And I think a lot of people are going to check out. But we shall see. I'll be very interested to see what Twitter looks like in six months, especially in the political arena. But to kind of bring this back to Trump and what he's doing, what his aim is right now. I mean, it it seems from reports that I've heard coming out, he knows he lost. Like he knows this. But he's out here fundraising, holding rallies, raising money on the idea that he is fighting this voter fraud stuff. A bunch of people, however, decided to read the fine print on the donation letters, the the emails, the the begging for money. Apparently they text you now too. Like, oh my God, what? Anyway, um, as it stands right now, any money that you donate to Donald Trump under the auspices of fighting voter fraud, um, 60% of that actually goes to his campaign fund, basically to finish out paying everybody from the Trump campaign. So what this is, is not really a fund to fight voter fraud. This is basically a donation scam at this point. Let's keep it honest because you're lying to people about where their money's going. This is a donation scam for Trump to get as much money as he can going out the door so he can pay off the bills from his campaign. That's what this is. That's why he's drawing this out. Like, seriously, dude? Really? And I can remember way back when, in the beginning of the year, when the story was that Donald Trump and the RNC were just blowing the doors out on fundraising. So where the hell did all that money go? Why? why what? Like they were doing hundreds of millions of dollars a month in fundraising. Where the fuck did all that money go? That might be a fun story to find out because apparently now we have to drag this situation out for as long as humanly possible so that Trump can get as much money as humanly possible because he apparently doesn't have enough money in the coffers to pay off everybody from his election. I want to know where all that other money went because they were, they, they were doing gangbusters on fundraising. Where did it all go? Hmm, Maybe someday somebody will, will, will track that one down, but it seems like for now, Trump is kind of settling on doing either one of two things or maybe both. Um, he's floating the idea of a 2024 run, which I I don't see that happening. But again, that'll be a great way for him to keep his name in the press and make money. Um, the other thing that's been floated, and this one I think might have a little more validity just based on Donald Trump's actions over the past couple of weeks, that he wants to open up a new media outlet. And when I say new media, I mean like, an online outfit as opposed to like television or something like that. That's what I mean by new media. 
to directly compete with Fox News because if you will notice, he has been less than pleased with Fox News as of late and basically spends a lot of time denigrating Fox News. Um, he's still really, really pissed that Fox News was the first one to call Arizona like almost a week before anybody else did. Actually, it might have been even over a week because I believe they called Arizona for Biden on election night and everybody else kind of hung back and waited and waited and waited. And now it's like Arizona has been called for Biden now. Um, Biden did flip Arizona. So still really pissed about that. Really mad about the fact that (laughs) just mad at Fox News in a way that makes me think that he is trying to put that space between him and Fox News in order to pivot him and his supporters to whatever media outlet Trump does decide to open up once he leaves office. If any of that happens, who knows? But it, it that feels more realistic to me as to what Donald Trump's game plan is because he has been, he's been doing this for quite some time now, kind of playing up Newsmax, playing up One American News Network. I mean, I can't, I can't call One American News Network owned without making an onanism joke. So I just try not to. Although I just did. <laughs> but I, I can see that happening. And there, there's talk about him trying to like pilfer talent from Fox News, which I mean, if you're trying to get people like Hannity, like Tucker, like Laura Ingram, you're going to need some money because Fox News is paying them some money and you're going to have to get them out their contracts. So whether any of that happens or not, who knows? But Trump knows he lost. He knows this. He's already making plans. Like, everybody, just get the fuck over it. The man lost. Concede. Move on. Let the GOP move on. Because as of right now, obviously, we still have the two Georgia Senate races that the GOP has to worry about because they are both going to a runoff. And so the longer Trump is here kind of sucking the air out of the room, the less time people are spending paying attention to that, to those Senate races. And not that I want people to particularly pay attention to the Senate races because I do not want all of you people in my state. But I mean, that that should really be the focus for the GOP right now. And Trump's just kind of in the way, honestly. And the longer he's there, the more it's going to reflect on the party as a whole, especially when leaders of the party are not coming out and saying that Donald Trump needs to go. In fact, actually, I'll, I'll use this as, as a segue to talk about Georgia, um, it's come out that Lindsey Graham, and there are witnesses that are coming forward and corroborating this story, that Lindsey Graham told the Georgia Secretary of State, who's in charge of doing the recount, we are doing a hand recount in Georgia, to try to throw out legally cast ballots. Yeah, um... For his part, uh, Raffensperger is not having any of it and has been quite spicy in the media talking about, I mean, he was the one that brought it up. Like Raffensperger is the one that told everybody like, listen, Lindsey Graham came to me and tried to pressure me to throw out this particular set of legally cast ballots because the signatures don't exactly match what's on the Georgia driver's license, which that's how they're matching up signatures is they're matching it up from the ballot to the driver's license. So yeah, first of all, Lindsey Graham can get the fuck up out of my state. Please do not get yourself involved in my state. Go do something else. And second of all, just, oh my God. And and this poor guy, 
this poor guy, Raffensperger, he's getting death threats. His wife's getting death threats. People are, like, sending text messages to him on his personal phone. Like, what the fuck, people? No. Stop it right now. Stop it. But we did finally get results for Georgia. And Biden won. He flipped Georgia, which I saw coming. Not very many people did, but I saw it. And I'm not surprised. I mean, it's by a fairly slim margin. I think at this point it is like 13,000 votes. I mean, well outside of the margin of what is going to be found on a recount, but still a pretty slim margin overall. Whether that's something that holds, I'm not sure. Whether this portends anything for the Senate races, I'm not entirely sure. My prediction is that the Senate races are going to be split. You're going to get one Democrat, one Republican. And so it's not going to overly affect the balance of power in the Senate. Democrat or Republicans are still going to have control. But even if both of those seats do go Democrat or go Republican, excuse me, Democrats still have Kamala Harris as the tiebreaker. So either way, but yeah, I think they're going to split. And that's, I, I, I think, and, and I'm sure there will be thought pieces about my state, about what happened. But yeah, it's kind of a big deal. I mean, Georgia has not gone for a Democratic president, I believe, since 97. So yeah, it's been a pretty long streak. Um, North Carolina, on the other hand, Trump did end up taking North Carolina, which was another southeastern state that a lot of people were looking at as a possible Biden flip. But the fact that Biden flipped Arizona and Georgia, I think, is kind of a big deal and really tells you where the both the, the southeast and the southwest are heading. Whether this holds, like I said, we're not going to really know, I think, until the 2022 midterms. That's really going to be the test of whether this is like a one-off reaction to Donald Trump or if this is going to actually be both of these states turning blue. So still remains to be seen, but it's something that people didn't think was going to happen. And I think it's rather interesting. It's in definitely in Georgia. I mean, if, especially if you look at like the electoral map of the state, you can clearly, clearly see the rural urban divide, which that's a whole story in and of itself. I think also another big story that's going to come out of this is going to be the age gap. Whereas you just conservatives have lost a youth vote. And without that, your party is kind of doomed to die. Like they, they need to figure out a way to fix that. If they want to keep being a viable party going forward, you can't have a rapidly aging voter base. That, 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 that doesn't work. Like obviously there's going to come an end to your party if that is the case. So whether the GOP will engage in any kind of reflection I'm doubting it. Honestly, I, I don't think parties do reflection after loss anymore. They just find people to blame and move on. Not super healthy, not super conducive to growing your party. But hey, that's if that's what you want to do, go for it. And I don't think Democrats are going to really gauge in any introspection either. Up on my Substack, I do have now 
already my my predictions for the future of the GOP. My predictions for the future for the Democratic Party will be up in the next day or two. I'm finishing that up now. And then, of course, I'm going to do one for my predictions of the future of the Libertarian Party, which, oh boy, that is going to be <laughs> complicated. <laughs> oh, there's, oh my God. What I, oh man, <laughs> that's going to be a doozy. But before we leave off, because I, I want to bring this up just because I have been following this story and it, it is still kind of a tempest in a teapot, but I do think it is an important story. Um, the TikTok ban has not gone into effect, despite it's supposed to have gone into effect on the 12th, I do believe, either the 11th or the 12th. Um, what ended up happening is, you remember we had this whole flurry of kind of brouhaha, we had court cases, and then the Department of Commerce seemed to just kind of forget about TikTok. And so the day before the initial agreement was supposed to be up, TikTok was like, um, hey guys, we haven't heard from you in a while. Uh, what are we supposed to be doing? <laughs> like, like, like literally they just like forgot that they told TikTok that, you know, you have to either sell to a U.S. company or we're going to shut you down. So what ended up happening is we got another extension. Um, the new deadline is the 27th, although, I mean, <laughs> there's not been any movement really on the TikTok deal between, it's supposed to be TikTok, Walmart, and Oracle at this point. Um, I'm, I'm sure China is still not signing off on it. And the Trump administration seems to have completely lost all interest in the case. So the reason I bring it up is the whole thing behind the the Trump administration getting a bug up its ass about TikTok was this was supposed to be a national security threat. It was supposed to be such a big, big national security threat that the federal government, that the Trump administration felt like it was their place to step in and force a sale. Yeah, that's kind of a big deal. And then they just like forgot about it. But I thought this was so, so serious and such a national security concern and that it warranted intervention into private companies to force a sale. Huh. It's almost like the whole thing was actually just a publicity stunt. And once Trump kind of moved on from that, everybody else just kind of forgot. And they forgot that, oh, wait, hey, we actually did put in these these deadlines that we told TikTok that they have to meet. Oops. So I, oh man, I, I highly doubt anything's going to happen by the 27th either, but it's just, the whole thing was just stupid. It was stupid and pointless. And if nothing had happened, TikTok would probably have already been sold to Microsoft and we wouldn't even be having this conversation, but it just shows how bullshit the whole national security thing can be like, obviously, obviously this had nothing to do with national security. Uh, clearly because they fucking forgot about it. Obviously not a high priority. And yes, it was just a publicity stunt. It was a way to try to whip up somebody into something or to kind of poke your finger in China's eye. It just, Oh my God. It just, it, it sets a very bad precedent. It just like it, and now they've got this legal mess that they have to fix somehow. 
although everybody seems to have lost interest in trying to fix it. They could have just left well enough alone. But no, we had to do this whole stupid thing. So, as it stands right now, we still have TikTok in the United States and will until at least the 27th, and I'm sure far beyond that, because, I mean, the courts have already decided that they cannot ban TikTok in the United States because it would cause irreparable harm to the people who are making money on the platform. I discussed this when this case came out a couple of weeks ago because I just thought the whole argument was so interesting and could have further reaching ramifications for other social media sites. The idea that influencers or people who use the site to make money can go into court and say that we cannot like, you guys can't get rid of this platform where we make our living. That's going to cause irreparable harm to us. So where this all ends up, I don't know. I'm sure this is all just going to get kicked down to a Biden administration and then he's just going to shelve it because, I mean, the whole thing was stupid. So anyway, at this point, I'm going to go ahead and wrap this up. Um, I'm sure this week will bring us plenty of new fresh hell to talk about. Whether Donald Trump will ever actually concede the race whether or not he will actually stay in the White House until January 20th, whether he will attend the inauguration or not. <laughs> oh, I doubt it. I bet he won't. I bet he won't. Anyway, but I mean, it might be just for the best if he doesn't, because I mean, I'd rather him not be there than go there and make a scene, you know, just stay home. Like probably nobody wants you there anyway, but anywho, at this point, if you made it this far, thank you for listening. And if you do like this, please rate, comment, and subscribe. You can find me on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, YouTube. And don't forget my Patreon page and also my Substack page. Take care and until next time.